1: Well, y'all, time for some R&R. And if you think we're talking about rest and relaxation, (laughs) then you don't know us very well at all. Heck no, y'all. We're talking about Rosies and Rockies. Pulling up a chair with us today at elk camp is the elk singer himself. Our friend from the Pacific Northwest, Mr. Tony Wintrip. Tony will be joining in and sharing decades of his elk hunting expertise, stories, differences, similarities, and how to adjust hunting strategies between the two subspecies. Yeah, buddy, up next, a little music and a whole lot of R&R. That discussion, some Elk Bros shout outs, and questions from our Great Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk
2: Hunting. Brought to you by elkgrows.com with your host Gilbert Ornellis and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing
3: what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
4: What's up Elk Bros Chris McKelvey
5: from Santa Rosa Home of uh, the Charles Schultz Museum Snoopy and the Luther Burbank Center Out here uh, Trying to get some miles in on the hills today the
4: park, unfortunately, not out chasing elk, but prepping for uh, my first elk season this season. Thanks for the show, thanks for everything you guys put out, thanks for all the hilarious commentary. And
6: uh, I'm sorry, Manano, but Luis, I think, still has it for the leader of the Venezuelan mafia. Thanks, guys, keep it up,
3: elk bros. Hey, it's Chad giving you guys a shout out. I'm up here on top of Manan Butte outside of Rexburg, Idaho, overlooking the Snake River right here. Whoop. Uh this butte was formed by the volcanic hotspot that now
4: sits under Yellowstone, so pretty cool spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cool.
1: That is so awesome. Thanks, Chris and Chad. Yeah. That's how you open up a show with some video shout-out, fellas. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue collar hunters grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ronellas, the host of your show. And as usual, all the bros are in the house. We got the Venezuelan Mafia in the house. That's right, Luis Gonzalez and Manano Grateron. We call him Manano. And your elk hunting coaches are in the house. Leroy the Ninja, Chavez. And Joe, WWJGD, what would Joe Gillia do is in the house. And tonight, fellas, pulling up a chair with us and joining us here at Elk Camp, you've heard his music at the end of our shows. Now you get to meet the man behind the music. His hunting passion is second to none. And when it comes to success in the Elkwoods, he absolutely knows how to bring them in and close the deal. The Elk Singer himself and fellow grinder and our friend, Mr. Tony Wintrip. Woo-hoo. What's up, guys? <laughs> What's up, Tony? <laughs> What's up, guys?
4: Well, Tony. <laughs> Tony, you might you might have to you might have to pull in a little closer, man, just so we hear you a little better. But
1: there okay. you go. So good to have you, Tony. Thank you so much for all the music and what you put out for for Elk Bros. And we're we're so proud to be part of some of that, man. Thank you so much.
6: Absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for supporting me. I appreciate it hundred percent.
1: Absolutely.
6: Oh man, we and and we opened up this show with actually live
2: music yeah. from Tony. Yeah. Way cool, man. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Welcome,
6: please. Thank you. Thank you, uh, you buddy.
4: Yeah, it, yeah I, I, I'm telling you, man, when you talk about big racks and bloody backs, that's, Gilbert was just saying before we got on, Gilbert was telling Tony, he's like, yeah, man, those rosies over there, man, they're big, and that's that's all I want
1: is something to eat. We don't worry about them horns, man. We don't worry. I'm true. I'm <laughs> true. It is true, guys. I mean, y'all see me. I don't kill big bulls every year, man. I don't discriminate against, against none of them, man none of them you got you got scrawny horns and you walk in front of the missile it's over buddy <laughs> you got no horns and i gotta eat the sex tag it's over but listen now you put them both together uh, i'm gonna get into you know uh, kill mode oh, i'm gonna nah. i see if i can get in on. now nah, we're rules. talking about
2: exceptions
1: huh yeah, yeah. Except, there's exceptions That's to a... every rule but i have never tony i've never got to hunt rosies man i gotta come do that they're big old gnarly looking bulls i've seen them on tv shows and you know out in the wild one i've been up there in in, in the pacific northwest and man it's a uh, it's so cool to see that other subspecies and uh, I, I can't wait to hear about the differences
6: yeah you know this this uh terrain up here it's so green you know so for yeah. me when i go over to uh Idaho or Oregon or whatever, where it's all dried out and stuff, you know, I don't know if just once you see those creamy bodies over here against something, you know, super green, like every bit of blush and just, you know, just crap brush around here. It sticks out that much more. Yeah. You go hoppies and you get out in the sage or, you know, you get in that dry mountainy stuff. They just, there's an appearance that a creamy Roosevelt bull has. It's undeniable.
1: Ah. No doubt, no. Tony. Tony, I, I know you. You're a musician by trade. Is is that what you do for a living? You you just uh, gig and run the country, and you're a musician by by trade. That's your craft.
6: No, I actually uh, I run heavy equipment for a, a local county around here called Lewis County Public Works, out of Chehalis, Washington, and it's kind of dead center between Portland and uh, Olympia. Okay. Uh, so I do that, but I started writing about, well, it's been about 22 years ago. Oh, wow. And uh, I just picked up gigs as much as I could along the way and, and got some great opening acts. And, and then I started, you know, writing in the hunting genre that nobody else was really doing. And there's a really weird story with uh, Luke Bryan when he came out with that song, Hunting, Fishing, Lovin' Every Day. In yeah. 1999, I wrote a song called Hunting, Fishin', Loving, and Living. Oh wow, that's so, cool, man! So, so many years later, you know, nobody wanted to hear hunt music; they wanted country music. Yeah. And when that title came out, I thought, "Oh Lord, I've missed out on millions of dollars." And of course, the song is way better than mine, but still, I guess I had the title, but yeah, I, just I
4: don't didn't know about that, it. man. You you got some you got some really talent, cool stuff, absolutely
1: super talented guy. Yeah,
4: and and you have opened for some crazy people out there man huh
6: you know I got to open for Charlie Daniels oh well we did me and my band we, we won the uh, battle of the band contest for uh, Oregon Washington and Idaho so we, awesome. we, we were voted the best band in three states and the winner got to open two shows for Charlie and I met him on the night of his 65th birthday oh and wow he, what an honor he, uh, shook, when I shook hands with him I always knew he was big but yeah. uh, he had this piece of cake for his birthday when he was getting on his bus and it looked like a giant prime rib it was just a big old (laughs) piece of cake (laughs) it was just i didn't want to trouble him and spend too much time talking to him but uh that's how i met him but open for clint black derek spantley uh bellamy brothers um juice newton oh man yeah yeah just call me angel in the morning baby Yes, sir Anyway, <laughs> well, brothers, So it's very been-
2: soon, I'll be telling my kids that I, you know, had a podcast with Tony Wintret. Yeah, oh, man. for your
1: heart. Yeah, sure. yeah I, my family's been in the music business for a long time. My uncle was uh, the drummer for Sonny and Cher for a long time. He was, a, he's been a, a drummer in many different bands. And, uh, and studio musician as well. Had his own band in Malibu called Funk Attack for a long time. My sister's a really good singer. Got a little band down here that she runs around here in Texas with. Brian Black, Clint's brother, uh, and a whole bunch of those guys down here. Um, the, the the new rising star and uh, man, he won uh, one of the uh, voices. Um, Sundance Head, uh, so. She runs around with him down here gigging. She got a little uh, band herself uh, down here. She plays with Patrick Murphy and uh, I don't play an instrument, but I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar, and I've just been too damn lazy to to uh, get, get and take the time. I'm either hunting or fishing or working somewhere. So, but uh, we enjoy your music, brother, and we're very excited to see where this thing takes you. And anything that we can do to help you, man, we're going to help promote it. Amen. Thank you so much. So
4: Tony, everybody's been talking to you about the music thing, but here, here's the thing, dude. I love your music, love your <laughs> music. Um, but I see the pictures, I see the videos. I, I'm look. Your family has a history of getting it done. I mean, between you, your dad, your brother, you guys rock it over there, man. I mean, you. I mean, you you guys are killers. <laughs> That's all there is to it.
6: We're, you know, I, I'm with Gilbert in a lot of ways. Where you know, sometimes it's not all about the rack. I mean, we love to eat elk. I uh-huh. mean, we really do. And I get just as much joy out of shooting a raghorn. You know, a three year old bull as a five year old bull, something like that. I mean, I just I love harvesting elk, and the camaraderie is the, my biggest thing. I still got with my dad and my brother to hunt with every day, and it means the world to me.
1: No doubt, mm-hmm. Tony. Do you guys y'all hunt with bow hunting equipment or are y'all rifle hunters? I eat bow hunt, man. Bow hunt. All, yeah. all bow hunting. Awesome, brother. Yep, we bow hunt, and uh, that's
6: pretty much it. Just bow hunting, and of course, we did go on a rifle hunt in Idaho one year, and. I hadn't been rifle elk hunting in a long time, and when the bull was at 90 yards, I was like, oh, it's too far. <laughs> then I went, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. And, <laughs> that one, and we got him. That's cool. Martin, so, you,
4: you do have both Rosie and rocky experience,
6: right? Absolutely. Lots. Mm.
4: And you have yep. Rockies in your home state. Do you hunt Rockies in your home state?
6: We can't unless we draw a tag here. So mm. – um, but our neighboring state, Oregon, and then Idaho, you know, eight yeah, and the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go, we'll do one or the other
1: uh, every couple of years. Gotcha. So, That's awesome, man. Y'all hunt multiple states in multiple different phases. Uh, Tony, or y'all mainly just stay there in Washington?
6: No, we hunt uh, multiple states. Oh, cool. um, like said, basically just the close ones, you know, yeah. Oregon. Uh, you could always use buy a general tag and then idaho you could buy a general tag and now things have changed i'm sure you guys are seeing the changes which is fine um it is what it is but uh you know they're so close and and i can't get enough of that uh two three week rut so i gotta jump to a neighboring state that.
1: <laughs> i'm with you dude i gotta figure out a way where i can just hunt for a solid month somewhere you know on yes. <laughs> uh, new mexico then jump over to you know I maybe come up there and hunt with you guys in Oregon <laughs> and Idaho man it's got to happen I mean, yeah. uh, if here- I could just spend my spend my September on uh, my first part of October hunting elk I, poof, I'd be <clears> that man in high cotton Guys, y'all know what time it is. It's time shout for the Elk Bros shout-out. If you're new to our show, this is shout-outs to a few cities with the most listeners. Topping our charts this week, Joe.
4: Yeah, yeah, and thanks, man, to Chris McKelvey of Santa Rosa, <clears throat> CA, Cali out there, Chad Hashin from Rexburg, Idaho. Chad just moved to Rexburg, and he moved to Rexburg so he could hunt. Elk
1: man, I love that, Chad. I love that.
4: <laughs> that is just awesome, man. Thank you guys for kicking off the show. And grinders, remember, you too can send a fifteen to twenty second shout out video through a message. Just do the video. Make sure you do it in landscape view, like you saw these guys do it here. Um, send it to us through a message, either on our Elk Bros Instagram or you can email it, um, or you can tell me. Email me at Joe at that you have a clip, and I'll make sure that we find a way to get it linked to. Hey, it, joe, can right? you?
2: Explain- Explain to him and I don't know what landscape is because I mean, obviously, he still hasn't gotten the <laughs> uh, he doesn't fully understand the concept behind that. I noticed that on one of your videos that, yep. that it was kind yeah.
4: uh, hey, of,
1: I noticed he's giving you the number one finger <laughs> salute over there man
4: yeah 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 <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep working hey, that that's what, yeah, well, a, that's what you call that's what you call the california howdy
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ain't winning no friends over there joe be quiet <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey pony man
4: as our guest tonight pulling up a chair with us but we would love for you to start us off with a shout out to your hometown
6: i'd give a shout out to my hometown of aberdeen washington it, things have changed a lot since i was a, a kid there but uh big timber industry way back when i was a kid and the spotted owl put it out uh, it went kind of poverty stricken for many years but uh, i wouldn't write about the things i write about today if i didn't grow up in that town and i live about 40 minutes from where i grew up now and So, it's close enough to say I still live around there, right? (laughs) Sir. Aberdeen, Washington's on the map tonight.
4: Uh, There we go. Aberdeen, Washington, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right, Joe. This week's top listening city is best known for its baked beans and the precious Fenway Park, the Boston Marathon, and, of course, the bar from Cheers, where everybody knows your name it is the capital of massachusetts and nicknamed the bay state it's located at the lowest point at sea level of the atlantic ocean home to the rising artist and graphic designer britney lore joe's daughter and chav's niece Live there <laughs> in none other then Boston,
5: Massachusetts.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Boston MA. I think it's so cool
4: that uh that that, that was up there like that. And and I, I want you to know that it was the uncle that put that shameless plug in there, you know,
3: man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does amazing work. Good on you, unk.
4: I am so proud of both my daughter and my son-in-law over there. They're just killing it, doing some great things. Uh, Now they're living about 45 minutes outside of Boston uh, in in a house from the 1800s, a three-story home that, you know, it's just really, really cool what That's they're doing, cool. and and Brittany is phenomenal. She and really-
2: well, you, you've you've shared some of uh, her art. You've yes. shown us, and it's yes. unbelievable, man. Great. Pretty impressive stuff. I it, must, it just blows my mind to see to see people capable of just drawing stuff like that. It, you know, I, I I couldn't I couldn't ever. You know, you
1: know, you know at the generate Ur- something like that. At the Ornella Suite in Joe's house, when I come to stay there, there's quite a bit of that art in that room in the Ornella Suite. <laughs> well, oh, that's right. I dig it. Some of know. her first stuff, man. I, when dig was, it, yeah. I was, get the vintage stuff, art. Joe. That's the Ornella Suite. What are you talking about?
4: <laughs>
1: you know, she's right.
4: with art, kind of like how Tony is with the music, man. Yeah. Those kind of yeah. out, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, our next stop, listening city. The city was once called Mule Springs and has numerous nicknames, including Queen City of the Mountains for its majestic scenery and and also called the poultry capital of the world. This most recent and honorable designation came from uh, following the 1996 Olympics where an NBC broadcaster covering the rowing kayaking event referred to the city as the hospitality capital of the world. None other than Gainesville, uh, Georgia. Gainesville, Gainesville, Georgia in the house. Georgia
1: peaches, man. Got the Georgia Peach in here, the home state of Ty Cobb, one of the greatest baseball players of all time.
4: So, so Tony, you, you play over on that side of the world?
6: I do, yep. Um, pretty much I play a lot of uh, taverns, bars, casinos, fairs. We used to play a lot of fairs, festivals, and ever since COVID, everything's went by the wayside. I think I canceled 15 gigs last summer between March and the end. I'm sorry. Right.
4: Now here's the only thing I gotta ask you, bro, is that you know, I know you were raised right there in that Washington country, but gum, if you don't sound like you're from country
1: like <laughs> yeah. yeah but you can hear some of that washington pop out of him every now and then Joe. i hear it i, I can i can definitely hear it. but yeah i mean he's got that country twang i mean if you yeah. to write a little country music and stuff you better have some of that backwoods you know woods moan about but, you a little but
4: you don't fake that i mean
1: no where
6: did you pick that up tony
1: I don't know.
6: I think it's from just bugling in the deep woods.
5: <laughs> <laughs> good,
3: answer. Oh, good. good answer. Good
7: Attaboy. answer. boys.
3: Okay, up next. At the end of World War Two, this city continued to be a center of production and research into nuclear energy and related technology. It is the home to the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory since 1965. The, want pun... Yakima and Walla Walla Indians occupied the area when Captain William Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expedition visited the mouth of the Yakima River. And this is Richland, Oregon. Richland? Richland? Richland!
1: Oregon. Oregon
4: yes sir which land more Ridgeland.
1: Pacific Northwest
4: in yep. the house. It, yeah man and yet we have so many you know, Tony we have so many listeners from Washington and yeah. Oregon man I mean it it's just awesome all the and you know what's so cool about that is is we're I'm always the first one to say I have never hunted out of New Mexico and that's one reason that we're doing this podcast today uh, with you on it is that you know They've always been so kind that they listen to what we talk about with elk, even though we've never hunted rosies before. And uh, and we're going to talk more about that when we get into this. But I, I just think it's so cool how many of our listeners come from that, that area. Northwest. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So thank you guys very much.
7: You bet. know. Okay. This top city was previously, previously named Chester Township. Then Cropwell Township before its final name change. A nice town, friendly people, welcomes visitors to this community. A must stop for visitors in the area is the Maple Shade Custer Stand, a South Jersey institution and one of the ma- only places you can find peanut butter milk shake. Maple Shade, New Jersey. Maple, Maple Shade, New
1: Jersey. Then yeah. I got to go find me one of them peanut butter milkshakes, man. Yeah, yeah, cuz oh, it was not it wouldn't be awesome.
4: Milk shaking, it was Peter Bunner milkshake, man. Freaking made me made me hungry.
1: Yeah, I want one of them peanut butter milkshakes. I have man. never
4: heard of a peanut butter milkshake in my life, uh, man. I'm
1: going yeah. to Maple Shade, New Jersey. The next time I'm there, I'm getting me I'm one. I'm going to lie to myself and tell that's a diet drink. <laughs> Just like when I go through somewhere where they make the nuns trappistine caramels, I'm stopping and getting me some, Joe. That's
0: right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. I, I went through those puppies real quick that you sent me, man. So It was somewhere in Iowa, wasn't it, Joe? Oh, gosh. Like um, Des Moines, Iowa or yeah. something
4: Yes, God, yes, yeah. I believe so, man. Pepperstein sure. Nuns, man, with the Pepperstein yeah.
2: Caramels. Yeah. yeah. See, I mean, not, none of us had ever tried them, them chocolates, but only Joe gets a sample of them. I'd say, I see. <laughs> I get it. He I mean, actually let me
1: try. Them. I, I understand. Oh, you That's come. all right. That's you know, when okay. you come, stay on the Ornella Suite, yeah, and put yeah. a couple of them on your yeah. pillows. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> they leave a couple um, on them. your pillows, you know. <laughs> hey, it's sweet. Don't
4: <laughs> hate. The player hate the game. I'm, that's game. right. That's right. I'm just I'm just stating facts. That's all
1: I'm doing. I'm stating facts. So, Joe, why don't you lead us into the topic of tonight's oh, show? Oh, I dude.
4: just want to so much, man. I am just so up for this because uh that's why we got tiny, Tony, tiny Tony. And let yeah. me tell you what, Tony ain't tiny, man. That definitely. He hits the gym every day. That's how he gets up and down. So, and I tell so. Look at that. He. He's not only playing the guitar; he's showing the guns, man. Oh, Benado, he's got the twenty-two pistol going on, but that's all right.
5: <laughs> 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 so tonight, man,
4: we are talking about Rosies and rockies, man, and we're going to hear some stories. We're going to talk about experiences. You know, the the goal of this is to really. Talk about those differences and similarities of hunting those two subspecies because, again, we hunt Rockies. We know what to do with our elk in our area, and and I think it's a really important point to make that, you know, I've had people say that it's different in different regions. Now, as far as terrain, yeah, heck yeah. Um, I would say weather conditions, Absolutely, man. Uh, but I really, truly believe in now when we talk about Rockies I'm all over the place, I think elk are pretty much elk. And I think that's why a lot of people listen to what we talk about because elk are elk. Now, yeah. in talking to people that um, hunt those rocky elk woods, man, uh, those diehard rosy hunters like Tony here, I think they know some things about those critters that give them an advantage. Like if, if I was to show up in your woods, Tony, I have a skill set, right? I have a skill set. I have a knowledge, but I think that there's still going to be a learning curve because there's some things that you know about those critters as compared to those Rockies, that give you an advantage in your elk. But so let me ask you, I'm going to just come out, man, give us the secret, Tony, is there a difference? Do you hunt them differently? And what would you say, first of all, is, is the biggest difference?
6: You know, a lot of this country over here is uh, we scout a lot. Okay. We scout a lot. We know where the elk are going year after year after year, but you know, unlike the some of the national forests where they don't log anymore, we've got so many timber companies that log here all the time. So you might have the greatest spot for three years in a row. <laughs> and all of a sudden you go in on year number four and you go, oh, it's yeah. Okay. Now we're you know, now we're backtracking. Where are the oak gonna go this year? Because that timber patch is cut. That's a very common thing here. Because uh,
4: what? Now say that again. Because it's... what happened in that fourth year?
6: The timber patch gets cut. Yeah, they logged it. Yeah, they logged it. Okay. You know, yeah, so there's so much logging that goes around around here in the northwest, and they'll change their habits, obviously, because they don't have that big dark timber to go to anymore when it gets hot. Um, Big bulls love to push their cows into big timber. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, there's tons of second growth and reprod around here that's really, really thick. Mm -hmm. And they'll go in there, and they'll bed down during the day, because it's cool and there's no way you can sling a stick through there so it's all based for me anyway it's based on where i think they're going to come out where they're going to feed where there's water and how you set up because even in the places that are really brushy if you set up you know knowing where your lane's at or knowing where there's a swamp at that's got a little opening you're going to try and call them into that swamp right or, uh, you know, clear cuts. I mean, they're in the clear cuts a lot, and it's not it's not easy to call elk to you in right. a clear cut because you got nothing to hide behind, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, so basically, you know, I don't feel like it's a secret for me. I just feel like it's what I know best, and it's how to present myself to an elk, um, how I want it to come in. And if it doesn't come in, which that's another thing, the wind here on the coast is horrible. You'd think living 10 miles from the saltwater or hunting 10 miles from the saltwater, the wind would be constant coming from the west because we're on the west coast. Now it'll turn and it'll go the other way. And those elk know they'll, they'll be in spots where they know that they can smell you coming. Mm-hmm. And so and from that, any direction, they, they, they know where the
2: swirly winds are, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, so far, I've heard a lot of similarities
4: here in that, you know, uh, I don't think there's any difference. I think elk are number one masters at thermals. Now, let me, now, you talked about wind, Tony, how much does, I mean, because from what I hear, you guys are pretty warm over there a lot of times, even early mornings and, and late afternoons, or is there that cooling where you do get the thermal effect as well?
6: we kind of i guess you'd call it a thermal effect we get the fog a lot Mm -hmm. so you'll get that marine layer that pushes in off of the ocean which is very common on the coast because it'll push in you know up to 30 miles some days and typically on those days it's fairly constant but this and the tides the tides are another Mm -hmm. thing the tides will affect the way that the wind is too and Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that either. I mean, when you're this close to, you know, Roosevelt country, uh-huh. most people are dealing with those effects. What's your altitude that you're
1: hunting at most of the time, Tony?
6: Oh man, uh here on the coast it's about two, three hundred feet. Oh wow. Oh it's two,
1: three hundred feet,
4: but man, I've seen some of that country you go up and down and I mean there's some steep country you guys go up yeah. and
6: down in there as well. Yeah, I mean we we typically hunt about it depends. On years where there's fire danger, the local timber companies will cu- will shut down. And then that puts you into national forest. And as mm-hmm. soon as you get into the national forest, you're in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the Olympic Mountain Range is, is a nasty. It We can get up to about 22, 25, something like that. 2,500 in it. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're seeing some of that stuff, Joe, where it's rocky and it's got big old growth timber in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's stuff
1: that and my natal. flat my Flatlander longs will do way better in that. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <That> <laughs> my fat body can mo- motivate in that kind of in that kind of uh scenario. You yeah. know, we're up at ten thousand feet and somebody sucked all the air up, up <laughs> there before we got there. There's no oxygen at ten thousand feet, Tony.
4: Yeah, um, but but bro, yeah, you're okay. gonna you're gonna be needing the man plan over because 'cause you'd be sweating your
5: butt
6: sweat off that <laughs> Hey,
4: no
1: no doubt. I mean uh so is it pretty humid too?
6: It's sultry, yeah. It uh, really is. And matter of fact, uh, one of the differences. Um, I wasn't acclimated to chasing Rockies when I killed my first one, and I shot it at sixty eight hundred feet in yeah. Oregon, yeah. and we were quartering it up in the heat. I don't know. I almost passed out. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> nothing left. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yo, you're right in those aspects of you know altitude changes and stuff like that. It, yeah. it not only affects. It affects our bodies a lot.
2: Now, so. I, I got a, I got a quick question, and uh, I, I'm backing up a little bit more. You know, so we might have taken for granted that the, the actual physical differences between the two subspecies. What are, what are we talking about? The, the, the Rockies are bigger animals body wise. Oh, smaller right. animals. Yeah, uh, and. um Okay, so how
6: about antlers and collars, and what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, the, the Roosevelt's bodies are substantially bigger, with the exception um, a couple of our, our premier draw units in the state burned up years ago for uh, Rockies, and the feed is unbelievable in it, and the age is another thing because since it became a draw unit, those elk, you know, Got a chance older. to bigger and um, for just a small, for instance, I shot a bull in 2014 or 15. It was a 350 bull, really good bull, um, Rocky Mountain bull, and to me, it was a giant. And I'd shot two or three Rockies up to that point, but the first ones that I went up on, they were smaller six points where they looked like our raghorn bulls here meaning like a two and a half three-year-old two and a half three and a half year old bull here um and then when i shot the following year i shot a really good bull uh coastal rosie that ended up being actually the number one archery bull in washington oh wow that bull was pushing uh, between 900 and a thousand pounds wow and that's that's a you know That's a dead bull laying there, guts, feathers, and all. And and uh, what what was the date
4: of that hunt, Tony?
6: That was – I killed that bull on the 22nd of September here in Washington. And the Rocky Mountain bull that I killed the year before was on about the 15th.
4: Yeah, because I I want you to consider that because I know that, man, from early September until about October 1st, the Rockies – now, I'm not sure – See, here's here's one of those differences. I mean, we talk about the similarities, and in the similarities that we've talking about, I hear you talking about how when they get in the open areas, you're just it's going to be hard to get them because there's nothing to get behind. They're going to expect to see you. They're visual animals, right? They're going to use the thermals the same way in your hills and in your areas. They're going to find those places so that they are working not thermals, yes. But it seems to me, and and I'd really like to. Wrap my head around y'all's thermals. I'd really like to experience that because it seems like it's more wind than thermals, That's especially right. the way the humidity, because you got heavy air, man. I mean, yeah, it got, sinks. Yeah, you got yeah, heavy air sinks. there. So, mm-hmm. wind is like really critical there. And it seems like they know the best places to catch the breezes where they're going in there. But Now, I mean, when you talk about body size, I know that from for the Rockies, from you know that early September until about that October first, October tenth, and there they lose about two hundred pounds of body weight, man. I mean, you'll get a seven hundred pound bull that'll come down to a five hundred pound bull, man. And and but here's the thing, and here's a great part of the discussion is Rockies. Move, man. I mean, they cover country. They're they're going from one ridge to one mountain. I mean, they they do man, a lot of surf, a lot of pushing. There. Yeah, they they put the miles in daily. Where I have heard Tony, and this is where I want to you know get these things that the Rosies are not. They don't roam as much. That they're a little bit more territorial. In fact, they're a little bit more protective over their territory, and it could be because what you call dark timber i call jungle man from what i've seen yeah. over there it's like that old forest i mean yeah. it's old forest jungle beautiful stuff man it's like you're going back in time to something that you see in uh in, in the one rainforest. Of... is that true are are they more territorial do they more stay or do they still roam a lot
6: you know during the rut i mean a lot of these bulls will take off and just like probably over there hunting Rockies, they'll go off into their little spots in the winter where they might be 10, 15 miles away from where they rut, correct? Huh. Or or further, obviously. I mean, even on their winter ranges, your guys' go to winter ranges. There's not much of a winter range here where I live. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they're pretty territorial, but uh, I think a lot of it is there's a lot of different herds around here that'll be just a drainage and a drainage and a drainage and a drainage away. Right. Which is only a mile or two. Mm-hmm. And you know how that goes. They can, they're, they're there in 20 minutes.
1: Oh man. Oh,
0: absolutely.
6: If, if they breed all the cows and one drainage, or they, or they run out of, you know, estrous cows and they take off to the next drainage. All of a sudden you, you see one, one day in one spot and you go back there to try and kill them. And then you're like, where did he go? Well, mm-hmm. guess what? He mm-hmm. just went over the hill. So, um, Oh, wait, how many cows does a typical bull there keep uh
4: probably average is about a dozen yeah see that's a big difference there right there because big yeah
6: yeah well, we, will, we will get into bunches that got 2025 20, and it just mm-hmm. depends on the area depends on the pressure Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously the logging the, the logging is just a, a killer thing you know in the fields now in the farm fields they'll be 25 30 sometimes yeah. but you go out and you start hunting in the clear cuts on the timber cut you know timber company land and they're they're not as many i guess it, right. you know at one time
1: right are the rosies are the rosies um I won't say easy to call because none of them are easy to call, but do they respond to calling uh, as well as the Rockies? You know, that's
6: that's a, a funny question. It comes up a lot. Um, there's a certain time here, sometimes between September 1st and about the 10th, uh-huh. where these elk are just, it's like they're just talking to each other. They don't want to come to a call. They're just letting each other know where they're at, mm-hmm. right? And then I've also been over in the on the east side where it's the same thing at that time, but then mm-hmm. there's other times where they come in on a string, oh. you know? uh, mm-hmm. e- either either a, a Rocky or a Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. It's it's just timing, and it's I don't know how to explain it. Sometimes it's the fifth of September here, and everybody goes they're running like crazy, mm-hmm. and then the next year. They ain't doing anything till the 12th of September, you know. And then that's another thing that's hard to base your hunting trip out of state on. Do you want to hunt the first week here this year, or do you want to hunt in another state?
1: You use the Equinox for the Roses
6: as well? Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, and uh, rain, uh, it's like turkey hunting sometimes. Sometimes (laughs) the rain will shut them up, and you won't hear a bugle all day. And then it'll rain another day, and they'll scream, and you're like, what is it what's falling from the sky that's making them shut up and and speak
1: would you say would you say the rosies are less talkative than the rockies or vice versa i would say that's correct i would say they're a little bit less i mean
6: and it year is so for
1: for you guys do y'all really concentrate more on you know uh, as we know elk are slaves to their bellies do do you mostly concentrate on the food and water areas and the transitions in between
4: up breaking the canopy, man. That's that's yeah. why those cuts are so huge over there.
1: We yeah, but I mean that's you know they got a, a full year of growing season too. They grow in grass, and you know elk are grazers, man. They'd rather graze than browse.
2: Now, so no. The one question I would have though is like, okay, so we're talking about how talkative they are, and you know how they concentrate on their feed. But are we talking the the variability in their speech comes? from comparing two different years on, during the same period of time meaning it, you know obviously the the way that the the Rosies um, talk depends on the time of the year but uh, I, I, I look I, I I'm, I'm just gonna say I think the same
4: thing happens I don't care what elk it I, is and and I hear it so many that's people what I mean. Say, yeah there are people are like you know well they're just not they're not talking and yet you go over into a two drainages over where somebody's got a hot cow yeah Mm -hmm. they have a hot cow and they're blowing up man and i i don't think it really has a whole lot to do with a lot of things other than that cow coming in heat Mm -hmm. and you know uh i I don't you know that's the thing i know that there's certain forces here you know you got a difference between young cows and old cows so you got age groups You know, young cows are going to be all over the place with their, you know, with their estrus. Those older cows are going to be more rhythmic in it. Mm -hmm. So it could be the age class from one year to another year. Uh, I don't know uh, how many cows are taken in in Washington there, how many are hunted. But a lot of times I think that even affects the age class, which affects the rut because certain cows are not coming in heat. And, you know, Chab and I have killed... Bulls on September 1st, September 2nd, September 4th at the beginning with bulls going nuts because a cow came in heater. You know what I mean? So uh you know, I I, do you guys hunt a lot of cows over there, Tony?
6: I mean, yeah, it's basically you go where the cows are just like deer hunting where you you know go where the doves are. But uh, it's funny that you mentioned that Joe uh the there's a couple of herds of elk that got one of our bigger herds that we hunt's got, I don't know, say 25 or 30 head in it. And during September, the first three weeks, every year, there's never been a mature bull there for the last four years. And the funny part about that late cycle is um, during muzzleloading season, one one unit that I live close to is open for muzzleloader. The other, the other side of the road isn't. And a herd bull has gone in there on about the 5th of October with all those cows. So there's, they're either not come, they're not coming into heat early and those little raghorns are running around with them just thinking it's going to happen. Right. (laughs) That herd bull knows to not get in there until the first October. So, you know, and and it might be the age, you might be right about that. Or when they were bred years ago, you know, whatever that cycle is Mm -hmm. a tough one.
4: Yeah. Yeah, It it happens with us all the time. There'll be like once every three years or once every four years, you'll have certain times of years that just blow up. And then you have other times that, you know, it, you know, you take this last year, for example, you heard all the way around the West, Tony, um, all over the West, everybody was like, man, the elk just came in late this year. They were just quiet. You know Uh, they weren't talking out there now. I heard that from a lot of people, but I mean, we're September, you know, me and Gilbert are on elk on September 6th, September yeah. 7th that we're talking. Now they weren't screaming necessarily, but you had to be in the, in the brush with them. But then man, by September 9th, man, I mean, we had bulls that were eighth, ninth, they were going yeah. crazy. So, well, uh, heard in herds of
1: 150 plus head.
4: 100, yeah, oh yeah, oh. Uh, wow. has video of a herd that he followed. That's oh, probably
7: 250, 300 head. Oh yeah, at yeah. least. And and Tony, I have a question. How how busy is the area as far as hunters? Is that a public uh, a hunting area? Yeah, yeah, it's a general tag,
6: um, general archery here on the in the co- most of Washington actually is. I mean, there's only a few good draw in washington but yeah it's very populated uh which makes it tough too i mean and that changes that changes the the rut a little bit too where you know they're just pushing and pushing and pushing from one spot to another and they never get comfortable
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah they're they're big adapting to pressure you know i i think I think I, we've seen that in our areas too, man. Those elk adapt to that pressure, and uh, they're very much students of the game. And uh, when you put that pressure on them, it affects their habitual nature, you know, and uh, they're going to change a few things of what they do so they're not in that danger. Tony, one of the big things I was going to ask you is, you all in wolf country? Uh, no wolves here on the coast. A lot of cougars. Okay. Yep.
6: Okay.
4: Yeah, because but, north of you has, like, um, you take a look at Victoria Island. I think it has, like, the highest density of cougars anywhere in the North America.
6: Yeah, it's getting worse and worse here. Uh, but as far as the wolves, they're on the east side of the mountains, you know, a few hundred miles away. And, and we haven't had any recorded wolf sightings in western Washington. Cool. People always say they saw a large coyote or something like
1: that. But they're, no. Yeah. Y'all you have know, black bears? Lots of black bears. They're they're rough on elk herd man. Yeah. Um, they're actually you know we've we our friend and wildlife biologist there in New Mexico we've had on the show. He stated that you know they're the number one killer of elk calves is uh, black bears. Wow.
5: Yeah.
4: Oh yeah, they're yeah they're 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 terror on the on the calves man. But and and we're gonna we're gonna hold the hunting style strategies and calling here for a little bit because there's still some other things because. You know, for us, like, for example, Tony, when I hunt, I hunt in tennis shoes. Um, sometimes I'll wear some um, waterproof biker socks under there, uh, in you know, because in here in New Mexico, we might get some damp mornings from dew. We might have some 10, 15-minute storms blow through like that. I get then,
1: six inches of snow, too, Joe. Or,
4: or we get six, <laughs> one, time, one time in 40 years, bro, six inches of snow, man, so...
1: <laughs> but uh second well, year hunting with carl gamage it snowed on us up there joe
4: oh it was like one night yeah it wouldn't even i mean it was nothing like what we had to yeah do. we
1: had a cabin to sleep yeah, in
4: but you know when, when <laughs> i think of you know what we have to deal with condition wise as far as weather conditions with our gear and equipment like i don't like hunting in rain gear man i have a feeling if you hunt in washington or oregon you got to get used to it a little bit yeah
1: yeah T fifty comes into play
6: yeah that's the hard part about if you do wear rain gear around here you're so you're in the brush so much hunting these things and it's so noisy Mm
5: -hmm. i would
6: take a wet fleece day any day I mean, yeah. a lot of my buddies that that have come and hunt with me, they're like, "You don't have ranger," and I'm like, "No way." And
2: I mean, will feel right at home hunting up there with uh, with the shower no. Yeah,
6: <laughs> I have a I have a really light Sitka pullover that I'll pack if it gets really really bad. But uh, you know, my dad killed his bull last year in a just a giant rainstorm, and we it was so slick as we were trying to quarter it up that. It kind kind of got scary with knives, where my dad's you know he's he's older and a little fumblier, and I was like, just let me take over because I kept thinking he was going to slip and fall right on it. I mean, right. this country is, but you know, I mean, you could throw on a rain gear, you know, if you were headed back in to recover one or something like that. But as far as hunting one, it's really tough here. So, just but uh,
4: your temperature, what is your temper? Like like I got caught in a rainstorm in Florida and I'm from the East coast and the rainstorms and rain over on the East coast versus rain in New Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I get rained on here and that temperature drops, man. And that's, you know, you start seeing your breath and stuff like that. You can get chilled to the bone real quick down here, but, uh, is the temperature different or do you get chilled and stuff with, with your conditions?
6: Not not usually here in the in archery season, the first three weeks of September. We get a two week season here and it, it changes every three years, they'll adjust it. It'll like the first through the twelfth or the twelfth through the twenty fourth and you know. But uh as far as uh the rain, I mean it's usually it'll rain and be sixty. I oh, mean yeah. it'll be sultry and you'll sweat like crazy but uh you know going up in the high country if that season goes a little bit later into like the year that that it was at the t- that it ended on the 23rd it can get cold up there it'll be you know 40s in rain which you're seeing your breath so merino wool is pretty
4: solid over there then huh
6: absolutely mm-hmm. yeah yep absolutely
4: yeah so what about your gear man i mean you think about all that moisture and. You know, it's hard enough in our country to walk through without getting a whole bunch of crap stuck in your, you know, uh, your limbs and your cams and stuff like that. And then you add to it all the moisture you guys are dealing with. Wait, does that bring anything special to the table?
6: Uh, It's it's just year after year the same thing. We just know how wet we're going to get and everybody just wings it. I mean, it our, a good
1: you know, wax on your string and stuff yeah, like that helps a lot.
6: Yeah, we don't have any fancy uh outfits or anything i mean i have killed more stuff in walmart gear than <laughs> i swear to god i've robbed that walmart half rack half price rack in half every year at the end of the season and just yeah it's just you just thrash things around here you know mm-hmm. you uh, you want to wear vinyl buddies if you got binoculars because you'll you'll scratch the hell out of your lenses it's just constantly going through brush yeah okay i got
3: i got a question for you i, I don't know if you can see this but but uh is that pretty much what the landscape looks like? This is you know, a yes, it, there. It is. but uh looks yeah. like, Thanks, looks, But looks like it looks like you're in a clear cut, an old clear cut. Is that right?
6: Yep. Yeah? It is. And it almost looks like fur as you look back there in those rolling hills. It's just Gosh. it's thick. My, we were we were shed hunting last weekend in that same country right there and we got soaked again and the wind blew there you go again just mm-hmm. wet wow. matter of fact we put our waders on and crossed a stream to get to where we were shed hunting and we hunted for about four hours and got so wet that when we came back to put our waders on we threw them over our backs and crossed in our in our boots
1: <laughs> we were that wet. Ooh, lord
4: well, see, yeah. that's, that's, that's another thing, you know, here out West. Um, and it, it was all everywhere last year. It was so dry that water becomes something that is, you know, that's an asset, man. That's a feature. That's something that's going to help you. It's going to concentrate animals. I, do you get that same luxury or do you have to, is, is, it's just not going to
6: matter. You know, that's a good point. The best years to hunt around here, for me personally are drought years. God bitch. I yep. feel like I know every little nook and cranny where there's water in the Strange. crap at times Ooh. and I'll target those areas way more than I would on a on a year where we got a bunch of rain. Yeah. And we that's see. actually, you know, some of the places are so <laughs> uh, brushy and places it's just say, you know, for instance, the National Forest land, they don't clear cut it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if you're going to you're going to put trail cams and stuff up there you, that's your only way of scouting. You can't find a bull because it's all timber for miles, right? So you you know obviously you base your the water and your camera around that water, and that's how you do your scout. Gotcha. And those bulls in that bigger country for years they would not come in until on that camera, until after the fifteenth of September, and that's how I killed the the big one that one year. But he wasn't he wasn't on the camera. He just didn't show up until, you know those last couple days of yeah. our hunt. So when Tony Wintrip shows up to those hills that are just friggin' covered
4: like that, I mean, it, it doesn't do you any good to have any binos, man. So uh, when, when you're there, what is your process in your head? Because everybody, we all know finding else half the battle of killing it. Right. So when you show mm-hmm. up in that big country right there, what are your key things that are going through your head? And I, you know, after I don't know how to explain it because sometimes after you've hunted elk so long, you just know what elky country is, man, right? You, you, you just know where to go, where to be, where to smell them out. What are you looking for when you show up in that country?
6: Uh, cut and trap. I mean, that's a huge thing here. You know, if even if they don't answer when, when you're bugling into these biggest canyons, you're, you're trying to find those old trails that they've always used. And, you know, the old saying, never leave elk to find elk. You're, you're constantly cruising those places. And once you find the tracks and the direction they're going, then I go back to, okay, the years passed, they went to the next drainage. They went to the next drainage. So I'll get into there on in the highest point and bugle into there. You know, you try not to over bugle, but there's times where, you know, a bull's bedded and he's lazy and he doesn't want to bugle back. But if you pitch him three or four, sometimes he finally says, okay. And he lets you have one. And then, okay. So I know they're in there, you know, and then you can base your hunt, however you want to do it at, you know, at that point. But that's the other thing they don't, there's the places that they're going to feed. When you look at that country, you're like, it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. So those tracks tell it all to me. I will I'll drive around. I'll hit old spur roads. I'll climb ridge tops, you know, to pitch into those bigger canyons and that's how I do that there. So
4: are you pretty much finding those animals in the same places year after year, Tony?
6: Most of them, yeah. Yep, yep, and with the exception of um, a year that either a bear or a cougar had killed an elk in one of the places that I always hunted, right. they never came back, Right. and I trail camed it forever, and then I went in there to pull the camera, and I smelled it, and me and a buddy of mine and you know, we had damn near pistols drawn. Like, uh oh, this ain't going to be good because there are some <laughs> giant bears in the Oh, you should take Chab with and, you on one
4: of those, man. He'll
6: help you out with those
4: bears. All
1: mm-hmm. right, Chav. yeah. He can teach you. He can tell the bear how to get the hell out. Oh that. bear, oh bear, hey he tell bear, the bear how to get the hell out. That's why. Hey, I'm, that's why I don't buy a bear tag anymore, Tony. Because the bear let us go. <laughs> so he got a pass from Big O. Uh, now, on. <laughs> yeah. earned my respect because he could have eaten this that day on the mountain he had no problem he might have been full from that carcass that he was at <laughs> but at the end of the day he decided to let big o and chav move on so he gets passed from me <laughs> but i'm going to take you back to that that same question
4: i asked you tony is that because I believe that happened again, I think that's similarities right there. you find it seems like you find those critters in the same places year after year, and people say that bulls like to rut their cows in the same place year after year when actually it 's cows like to be feeding in those same places year after year, and the bull is going to go where the cows do you know uh, but so when you you say that you 're finding those in the same places year after year. Why do you think that is in those places? Has there been something that clicked that's gone like that's it man that's why they're here?
6: Usually water. Usually it's usually it's always water and uh the age and the quality of those elk in those places. What do you mean by that? And I think it's just uh like a dominance thing uh-huh. and that almost okay. makes me feel like at times when they get pressured those dominant bulls will push those cows into those hidey hole places Mm -hmm. that I have confidence of finding Mm them. So, and uh, yeah, I really feel like that's what, what does that a lot, you know, but out here in the, yeah, out here in the clear cut country um, and the smaller timberlands it's they're they're usually within a mile or two. I mean, there's just no big getaways over here. You know, there's no lost there's no lost valleys that you can get uh seven, eight miles in on a trailhead on, on there's no place like that here.
1: So yeah, they're not climbing three thousand feet to the top of the ridge to bed down, no. you know, yep. on a high ridge or four thousand feet wherever it may be. No, it makes sense. They're so her- they're hiding in these little coolies and uh areas where, you know, like you said, that are they can get the wind on you if you're approaching. At any time they understand where to be during that, and I imagine the wind sets that up for them and for you too, on how you plan your plan of attack in those areas, you know absolutely yeah yeah,
4: because uh, yep. about how many um how many satellites do you do you feel like you usually have around or herd bull with cows
6: yeah that's the best question ever um mm-hmm. Typically, you'll have, it could be up to three, mm-hmm. but you know, you're typically one to two, and as a lot of setups, typically, they're the first ones to come in. Right. So, um, I learned a valuable lesson twice over calling in satellite bulls. Um, I actually watched three come in, which my brother ended up killing one. He didn't have a lot of time to hunt one year, and we were trying to call this herd bull in, And he was bugling and bugling, and then we could see him at about, I don't know, maybe 120 yards out in commercial thin, and he kept running around the outside of his herd chasing these three satellite bulls. So, I was like, oh, crap, you know, he's chasing those satellite bulls. So, I switched to a cow call, and those three satellite bulls came running right in,
1: okay? They run
6: right in like Jake turkeys. Yeah, buddy. Right? And my brother's, I'm like, go ahead. And so he slings one at like 12 yards. Oh, so slam dunk. he turned around and they ran right back down to the direction of where that herd bull was with those cows. And here he come again. He come right after him again, trying to chase him away. And so after my brother's bull expired, I said, hold the camera. I'm going to go kill that herd bull. He just, yeah, hold just, my beer. <laughs> I, I, went, I bypassed the body of my brother's bull. And I bugled one time at that bull, and he thought it was those satellite bulls coming back again, and he charged right over to me, and I shot him at 42 yards. But had I not seen that scenario where those satellite bulls had heckled and heckled and heckled him enough that once I, uh, you know, tried to tell him that I was coming back to try and get some cows, and I sounded small, you know, that's the big thing in this country. You don't want to sound big. Right. And I just give him a lazy man bugle, and here he come. Like, really? Again, you guys are going to try and steal my cows again? And then it was over.
1: That's too cool. And, and
4: How that's, many cows did that bull have, Tony?
6: Uh, that one probably had uh, fifteen.
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
6: I mean, he probably had fifteen, but he was in a content spot. Commercial thin is, uh, you know, one of the logging practices that they do over here where they thin out the trees and they they really uh they get a bunch of sunlight in there obviously to make the tree grow bigger so they're not all choked out you know mm-hmm. by all the other ones mm-hmm. and it also creates shooting lanes and better visibility right. and they feel comfortable in there you know that they that they're still in some cover so mm-hmm. it it is a really effective way of killing elk here if you can if you can hunt commercial thin
4: so it's 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 both because of the break in the canopy, you've got a little bit more feed there. plus they feel it's kind of almost like an aspen transition area that you know that we think about or any places where you have trees that are a little bit thinned out where there's going to be a little bit better grass, but yet the animals still have some cover and feel a little bit more secure in there. and uh, you know so that, that gives you that type of opportunity, right?
6: Yeah, absolutely.
4: So on, on those types of units there are, you know, with those because I don't you know, I hear about you guys' lumber companies. Is that is that like an open gate type thing? Is that like a pay to play type thing? How does that work?
6: There's a couple of different companies here and a couple of them you have to buy or permit, which usually costs about two hundred and fifty to three hundred bucks and it's good for a year and it allows you drive in access. And then some of the other ones are walk-in only. So you got the best of both worlds if you want to put on a you know a walk-in behind the gate, you know, four or five miles. Typically you're gonna see people there, you know, because it, it's gotten really popular. People have gotten in better shape that want to hunt farther. Um, and then, you know, in the drive-in ground, you could be chasing uh, Doug Flutie's around all day. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> hey man, look man, we like Doug Flutie's man. I'm telling you, cause <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, you know and. and- Look, we have a philosophy with with that whole thing, man. We always check out everything. And you can tell. I mean, there's certain things that happen, and you got – you know, it's it's quiet. You can tell different types of bugles. Cow calls are a lot harder to tell, and Mm -hmm. there's not many guys that do a whole lot of that. Most people are cranking on that bugle and stuff. But I've heard so many crappy bulls, Rockies, man, that they just sound horrible. I mean, uh, do you have the same thing with the Rosies, man? I mean – you know, they've been screaming all night, so they
6: got that laryngitis the next day, or they're just <laughs> they got the worst people in the doggone woods. Oh yeah. They'll be uh you can get some raspy ones or you can get the the typical uh you know, two and a half, three year old bulls. I mean, they really they sound so much the same. But all of a sudden you'll get a bull that just chuckles. Right. And that <laughs> chuckle to me, yep, yeah, I can really distinguish Uh, people's chuckles versus a bull's chuckle.
4: Oh, after that, that's that's the one telltale sign right there. Because I've had buddies of mine, I I won't mention any names. I was like, Man, you sound really good, but don't chuckle.
2: (laughs) 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 That'll be me. Mm -hmm. It happens. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I'll tell you what, really, the truth is, is that, um, And I've said it on, in our video is that Joe is actually super jealous of my chuckles.
1: (laughs) I resemble that remark.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I had chuckle offs with bulls. (laughs) Well,
4: I've I've also heard that, that, and and it happens here early season. We're going to talk about some of these strategies and focuses on different times of years, target animals as well. But, you know, early season for us a lot of bulls, that's all they want to do is they just want to chuckle, man. They're, they're yeah. not you want it's that passive, it's not aggressive, man. It's they just sound like monkeys in the woods. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and like I've a heard that rosies will do a lot of chuckling sometimes instead of using. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you backwards through each step and level allowing you to see visualize understand and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead the next step the next thought process the next success because y'all you've already been there you know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge you can find the blue collar elk hunting academy and the base camp training camp at elkbros.com that's e-l-k-b-r-o-s.com keep dreaming of the screaming believing in achieving and most of all keep grinding
6: yep a lot of the time that's all they'll do yep and and when they do a full bugle it's about three pitches without a chuckle at the end. Yeah, you know it's one. It's one of the other. Um, but man, when you get those big mature bulls, deep growly, just you like know, your, I love them growler, growler balls, hockey bulls, age man, and that age really signifies uh, that you know big, robust bugle. Mm-hmm.
4: But would you say it's harder to kill a Rosie than it is a Rocky or are you just so tuned into your Rosies that that's, that, that's not the case
5: for you?
6: Gosh, you know, uh, I went to Oregon last year and I made the mistake, uh, um, going on the first weekend of September because we've got a, a Labor Day weekend in there, you know, I've got an, an extra, extra day, days. whatever. And those bulls chatted, but they wouldn't come in. And it was seven days of frustration, you know, and then course, we come back here, and because um, the season started a little later, and we killed three of them in five days, rosies mm-hmm. So, but that could have been just timing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd almost wish that I would have went back hunting those Rockies after about the tw- you know the twelfth through the twentieth or something, versus uh, being there on the first through the seventh. And well, I think you, that you
4: walk the- into the Elkwoods, Tony, every year there in Washington how do you feel about your opportunities? Your, how do you feel it's going to, are you going to kill an elk? Is that how you feel or?
6: Absolutely. Oh, yep. Yep. No failure. I mean, it's a hundred percent confidence from the time I get out of the rig, knowing I've got 12 or 13 days to make it happen. And I'm just waiting for that, you know, God's final day from, for me to make it happen. You know, you got to go through all the, the ups and downs and the Absolutely. ones that got away and, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's all over in 15 seconds, right?
1: So in your experience, Tony, which one do you believe is uh, the tougher to hunt, the Rockies or the Rosies? Um,
6: I guess it would depend on the class of bull a person wanted to kill. Because I think that the, the raghorn bulls around here are pretty easy to kill. legal bulls, three-pointer or better. It's got to be a three-pointer or better. Right. Okay. Um, I... I mean, I firmly believe they're easier to kill because they're a little dumber I've it for 21 years and I've got them patterned so well that my confidence levels through the roof. Mm, gotcha. Now when I go chasing Rockies, um, it's, I, I don't have as much experience, you know, uh-huh. you know, I don't have that fluid playground that I have here that I know every Creek and, you know, Mm-hmm where they're going to go I, I don't have it when i go out of state i'm always i'm always playing catch up mm-hmm. but and that goes for uh even when you get one bugling over there mm-hmm. you know just say you feel like okay we're gonna make this happen <laughs> and then as we all know mm-hmm. you know yeah. many blown saves right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden you're like oh crap so that we, pitch, if, you hunt that for ten,
1: if you hunt for 10 days on a rocky hunt how many opportunities do you think you'll manufacture versus a 10-day hunt for rosies i would say between three and five okay okay yep and and
6: that being you know shooting range yes sir you know because there's so many days where it doesn't happen right and mm-hmm. especially hunting big country you're gassed you, you might only spend the four or five days in that big country and go i can't do this anymore today
4: was it, was right. that, was that, were you that three to five? Was Rockies. that Rockies or was that Rosies you were talking about? Rockies.
6: Rockies. Rockies.
4: And what about Rosies? How many opportunities?
1: Um, <laughs> Seven or eight. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it, yeah. I think, I think that's due to number one, your range that you're hunting, right? The, yeah. and when I talk about range, the land, you know, the, 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 the <clears throat> the backdrop that you're hunting, you're hunting a setting that for the Rockies that are just much more diverse than what you've got there for the Rosies, right?
6: So, yeah, the population is another big one. If yeah. you've got so many elk per square mile here versus going to hunt a range in in Oregon or Idaho that doesn't have as many, you know, that frequent the same circle, uh, right. odds are better here for that. Man,
4: he sure has made, you know, people. <laughs> i've heard a lot of people talk down washington man but uh uh oh we're just going to keep saying washington's not a good state to hunt
1: out yeah maybe i I should have said one or two (laughs) 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 tell me for out of state for out of state now i'm gonna ask a a dumb question but for out of state guys do they have to draw or can they buy over-the-counter tags
6: they can buy over-the-counter general tags here oh okay Yep, and there's a lot of units, but the, here's the other downfall: is the permits that you got to buy to access the places that have a lot of the populations. Yeah. Right? They they put those out, and they're they're limited quota, right? And they'll sell out in two or three minutes sometimes. Wow! So if you're trying to plan a hunt from out of state, you're going to come and hunt Washington, mm-hmm. and you don't get one of those, and then there's a fire danger where they close down all the timberlands everybody is on the national forest land. It's the only thing left. So then you got a party for 50. I mean, it's just camps on every corner. I I think a
4: a huge point that kind of got glossed over a little bit. And I want to make sure that it's out there is that I think a person's success percentages raise enormously with knowledge of an area. I agree.
6: Yeah. Scouting yeah
4: yeah, yeah no, i mean or I mean, you, you or hunt...
1: longevity how long you've been there doing it oh yes. yeah man like, i mean sure. yep. I yeah i think we're, you can we're, go we're beneficial because of the ninjas that we got that are on the ground for the last 40 years up there i mean mr chavez and in uh and joe i mean they've been in that country for so long um these guys oh uh, we got this kind of wind blowing oh well, we know where to go you know, uh, it's uh, it's just like you said, knowing your country, huh, Joe?
4: Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I mean, you know, uh, one of the techniques that Chav and I use for years, and, and we use them, and we did that with Luis when Luis got his animal, is that, you know, we hunt scout, man, and sometimes it's divide and conquer. In fact, I recommend if you hunt in a group, man, and you're hunting someplace new, Uh, especially with the tools that we have with with you know base map and Onyx and those types of things man where you can do tracks and where you can throw things down and waypoints man if if you have five guys like what we have man you get out there and man you just start hitting country in different ways and everybody reports back and you can map out and have a great picture of some things that are happening in that country and i think tony's uh you know Tony, how many elk have you killed in the last 21 years?
6: Um, 23,
5: 24. Yeah, <laughs> wow. something
1: like that. That's, that's awesome, brother.
5: Yeah.
6: Like I told you, yeah, man, I a, mean, a, yeah, he's
4: he's holding a guitar in his hand, but that dude, man, he can play killer. a bow like you wouldn't believe, right?
5: <laughs>
2: so cool.
6: <laughs> so well, you know, I got to tell you, my favorite mistake that I ever made was. Uh, you know we were talking something like that favorite mistakes uh yeah i had killed the two biggest bulls of my life in back to back years and i always told my wife i wanted to head mount one you know well i got it and she was excited you know and it's 6 by 7 350 yes so the next year i killed that bull that was dang near equivalent a uh, roosevelt bull <laughs> and when i walked up on it this is this is where it gets good I walked up on it, and I thought, "Holy hell, that's 325 all the way." And I always wanted to shoot a 300 inch Rosie.
1: Yeah.
6: And my brother is like, "You have got to head mount this." I said, "My wife will kill me if I bring in another." <laughs>
2: years in a row right man tony i i can tell you about a phone conversation i heard ones up in the mountains but uh
4: the
6: the downer of it is i told my brother i'm like it's gonna be a while before we get this bull out so i like to get the head off of them first it's really easy to flip them around when you're quartering and caping that's right well i my brother's like, don't do it. Don't do it. I cut the head off. Oh, no. Didn't, keep Didn't keep it. And the second, and this will tell you how big Roosevelt bulls are. Cause the second that I pulled that head away from that body, I looked at it and I'm like, man, that thing's growing. It's growing. <laughs> and then every time I looked over at it and then finally, you know, six hours later, when we get it to the pickup, my dad looks at it and he's like, Oh shit. That's a giant. <laughs> <laughs> and
5: then it gets worse
6: yeah. i take it to him i my taxidermist says i heard you you killed this big bull let me see it and i took it over and he looked at it and he walks up clicks me on the head he goes you're freaking crazy because that might be the number one bull," and you don't have a cape and i'm like uh he, he just didn't look like you know yeah. that the Rocky that I killed the year You're before. So big I mean, what, body
1: wise, man. What
4: kind of yeah. taxidermist you have, man? That won't won't go, bro. I got a cape.
6: <laughs> well, we got it.
1: We, we was- did.
6: Yeah, and it ended up working out good because a, a friend of mine had drawn one of the Roosevelt tags from around here, and he killed a like a five year old bull with an amazing cape. And my brother went up and helped him pack it out, yeah. and he caped it out. And so now that bull is not mine. It's
0: ours.
6: (laughs) (laughs) It's ours. Yeah, it's got his cape on it. So, but man, I mean, that was my favorite mistake ever for El Cotton. Hey, Manano, why don't you tell uh, Tony
4: about a conversation we heard with one of our, do you remember that conversation? which one with beto when uh after he well, killed that nice
2: bull he was he wasn't there oh he wasn't there huh no
4: this oh, was uh
2: there was
7: the year oh, with no. tucker That's yeah yeah tucker. please don't, don't get confused with Tucker. Oh, sorry.
4: <laughs> you know the what, mad Paul?
1: canadian
4: I, I i think i think you've been with us this whole time
1: yeah exactly <laughs> no I, I, luis can tell you tony uh, my wife's of the same ilk i mean i have 41 mounts in my home okay and uh, he will not tolerate one more uh, so i kill a freaking i mean this bull right here behind me is a pope and young bull he's uh right at 300 inches not not over 300 but uh that's my first bull the bull that is a rocky and i wanted to kill a six by six so at the end of the day joe called that bull in for me if you heard any of our podcasts you probably heard that story but i kill that bull chav and i are chasing a herd uh that had been in front of us all morning one morning and any anyway joe and Luis and my really good friend of mine steve tucker from canada were pushing a herd to us and we didn't even know it they were dogging them from the backside. we're splitting them off on the front side and so we're, we're talking about whether i'd shoot a cow or, or a bull a cow walks in at 12 yards and i draw my bow and she's gonna die because I'm eating elk meat, man. You know, uh, we hunt public land, and I'm telling you right now, I draw it back, center the the little red dot where my other red dot needs to be at 12 yards. I'm like, man, it's slam dunk. Ooh! And I look up, and there's this giant bull walking in. I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I lift that thing down, and, and, and man, he just bugles again, walks in it. 71 yards i draw it i have to shoot through a little window and everything but uh it's just like my practice at home i sent the missile it was Bo- uphill yeah was and you uphill. had some branches yeah. also that you had to kind of just yes needle I, it through i had to kind of swerve it through there but we got a little star wars effect it went over the right stuff, <laughs> over the right stuff money 55 feet feet up Done 346. I mean, the biggest bull I ever killed in my life. I mean, and an absolute tank of an animal, too. I mean, yeah, he, was he, a was, yeah. he was a giant bodied bull. Uh, and <laughs> so we're sitting on my bull. And at, at the convergence, after all of this, we called in seven or eight more bulls. Yeah. Chav yeah. actually had a, a bow blow up on him and where he, he couldn't finish the shot. Uh, at the end of the day. Uh, Joe and them finally converge with us. And we're we're me and Chad were actually starting to start to take this animal apart. And we hear guys talking, walking up. And here yeah, comes Joe and them out of the we, woods, dude.
2: Yeah, so. we kept hearing the mule. Uh, so the Tucker is like, man, I hear a mule going back and forth. What the heck is going on? So... <laughs> so we just kind of approached and all of a sudden you they're, know, we they're, a have, they're, they're like head to toe covered in blood man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. trying
2: to figure out where to start tackling this big animal and they're like it's like they saw the light when they
0: the saw it like, oh
1: thank you because do we're a long way from our bike okay <laughs> and, and pulling this thing apart between me and chad is gonna be some hellacious work so joe and them come rolling in <laughs> I, I'm I'm elated, man. I get really emotional. I'm an emotional guy, anyway. Real passionate about what we do together, and I got to do it with one of my best friends, uh, Leroy Chavez. You know, it was just an emotional hunt. I'm an emotional dude, so I call my wife, man. I got a signal, right? So I call my wife. I just killed the biggest bull of my life, and she just. Yeah. Immediately, I like here's my the ass. ass oh, I, boy. Could, I could hear it. Yeah. I was like, she's about, like I, You're
5: not bringing another dance. <laughs> no
1: hoofs, no horns, and no hide. Bring the meat, son, but man. no hoofs, no horns. No, she's tearing Look, my I'm ass. Talk
2: about up. crushing a soul, man. <laughs> Bento's face went like,
7: Baby, okay, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> she
1: tore my ass up good, man. And uh, I said, Hey look, Tucker Tucker needs to call his wife. He's got a signal. I don't give a damn about Tucker. She said, You're gonna listen to me. I better not have another mount. So I did I did cape the bull Uh because you know, I, I am a salesman. Uh, so I did cape the bull and I brought the cape home and uh I actually decided that I would have the the, the skin, the cape and everything, the whole hide and everything. I caped I him from front to back and the back half I have right here behind me but uh, the bull actually hangs in one of my really good friends archery shop here at the uh, Texas Archery <laughs> and so they've given me a place to go hang my bulls when I kill them I get to take them over there and they hang them so my wife don't cut my head off or anything else
6: <laughs> oh. that's good at least you got a spot to hang them
1: <laughs> got a spot to hang them in the archery shop yep
6: yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty
1: cool. So Big go, O's Corner. So yeah. we're gonna
4: get to the we're gonna get to the part that a lot of people want to hear about is the is is the strategy and the calling, man, because I've I've listened to a lot of guys calling Rosies and it seems to me like I, what I've heard guys doing that have been doing it for while I'm being successful, man, is they'll do like a a, a heart almost like a bark, man. It's, instead of it being a bark chuckle, it's almost like a bark bugle. It's like hey, and then go into a just a, a real quick bugle, man. Just ride up hard with it, and then come down. And what what's your style?
6: Uh, definitely not that, but I've heard that before. I mean, uh, it seems like it's one of the stigmas of the the calling uh, champions. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're using all those different sounds, but I don't I don't do it in the elk woods at all. I mean, usually when you hear a bark, to me. It means no bueno, right? Yeah, it's alarming. It means somebody's not happy. Somebody <laughs> knows something's up. Um, I don't really, I don't use that bark at all. But yeah, as far I like, as that... I
4: don't know if it's quite a bark. It's almost, you know, it's it's almost like when you're going into, you know, you, you hear people talk about uh, chuckles and, and uh, you know, I, and I don't, I think it's more like a, a hard chuckle, you know, when you're starting to go into a chuckle sequence you know on that than than it is a bark but there's a lot of similarities between that sound man but i've really heard people come out with a high high pitch hard you know and then go into a bugle like that and i didn't know if that was something that you guys have heard with those critters over there or something that kind of you know gets their attention or what but you don't do any of that no nope, i don't
6: do any of that i I really I mean I've got a locator bugle that I mm-hmm. i constantly use. Um I chuckle a lot, but I really try to mimic probably like you a lot of mimic what that bull's doing too, you know. Yeah copycat him a little or you know, try to intimidate him a little bit or try to tell him that that I'm a little bit smaller than him, but I'm not afraid of him. Um and I like to make a lot of noise when I bugle. I mean there's been so much uh you know different people that say sneak in there and get as close as you can and then bugle and it's like you're gonna blow them right off their feet you want you want to enter that herd elk just like another elk if that's what you're trying to do you, you know you want to sound like another one right yeah so you, those bulls they don't tiptoe into a herd of 25 and absolutely rip their head and Bugle. they let them know they're coming or you know
1: blast uh, the tree open I- and
4: I, I would think in that country, as thick as it is, man, I would be, man, I would be closing in so hard because it's just so so thick. I mean, what's your average shooting lane shot distance?
6: You know, that would depend on whether you're in the timber, reprod, right. or in the clear cut. Because I, I shot my bull last year at 88 yards, which is maximum wow. range for me. And the only reason That's I took the shot was I'd already been to Oregon for five days. I was into Washington for five. I mean, I hadn't pulled the cord yet and I'd been close a few times, but my bottom pin is 80 and uh, and I can shoot my 80, like my, you know, 30. Sure. So I'm really comfortable with it. And, you know, and he was broadside as a barn door and knew I wasn't going to miss him. It was just whether I was going to miss him by three or four inches or not, you know, where I needed to. Anyway, uh, you know, you're probably your average shot around here is 40 yards. Yeah, yeah okay. and, and that's that's piecing together, you know, a couple of I've shot a in bull the
1: timber or, or out in
6: the open. Uh, that's an average of bull.
1: Average, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah average. I mean, the both. Timber, I got you. yeah,
6: in the commercial thin, you can shoot sixty. Um, I've shot bulls at seven. I've shot bulls at eight. I mean, seven yard shot was that was <laughs> that was something Unruving else. Man. Yeah. And then uh, there's a lot of similarities yard
4: in that too. Then for you know between you know uh the two different elk because it's the same thing and it just depends on what kind of cover i mean yeah i talked to guys in idaho they're hunting that thick thick crap where binos don't do any good and you know we can get in jack pines we can get some open areas we can get some different things that you know uh, especially you get even in some of that dark timber where nothing grows underneath and you know uh for us and uh you can see those animals for a ways off so yeah there's a lot of a lot of similarities in that because i've taken animals out to 70 to i had one at i don't know five five feet six feet that i killed one time <laughs> so it's been
6: yeah there's a lot of uh learning with those close shots because if you don't draw when they're at 20 and they're gonna they're not gonna stop till they're at five you're beat if you don't have your bow back when they see you <laughs> and and that in this country is uh it's gotta draw it, you gotta draw early i mean you gotta you know it's it's not so much reading the language language at that point it's just reading how fast he's coming yeah
1: yeah because cause you, they can they amazing athletes they can cover distance really fast yes and, and, and I, their gate is so long that they're 20 yards and four steps you know three steps you know Yep. If they're
6: thumping their way in, you better get drawed quick. That's what's yeah. going to happen.
4: So let's, let's talk about target animals and, like, scenario goals because you talked about early season out there when they're not really talking a whole lot and they're just kind of showing where they're where they're at and stuff like that. Do you get a lot of animals early season that come in silent, Tony, or they just stay
6: put? Yeah, it's a 50-50. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it seems like they're staying put until that magical day. Okay. You know? Um, So
4: at what point, you know, so like if you were having to decide on your target animal when things are starting to happen and you've got a herd bull, are you going to have better opportunities at pulling that herd bull or pulling those two satellites that are harassing them?
6: um, More more than likely the satellites. It's Mm -hmm. just seems to be quite a few of them, especially with a three-pointer better, you know. You'll see herds with seven or eight spikes in them every year, and you know every one of them's a legal bull the next year. It's just who's pushed too often, you know, who's still hanging around. Uh, okay. But so they have to be three
1: points on one side or both sides.
6: Just just have to be three points on on a side. Gotcha. but K typically, side, right? yeah, typically the two and a half year old bulls are all four points. So, like have this. you
4: ever tried putting on, paying a picture, putting on a scenario to get a bull to come into you? Uh, because that's in that kind of country, in that thick type country like that, um, if you're. I'm not hearing where you've had things that have really snuck in on you a lot. And what I mean by scenario is, we will do something where we actually sound like a herd bull with his own hock cow, and maybe some mm-hmm. a, a satellite or two around them to to then pull animals into them, into us, <laughs>
6: basically. Have you ever tried a strategy like that? Um, not so much with like calling cows to come in. Um, it's typically. Uh... If we're in a group, you know, me and my brother and another guy, we'll, we'll all three be cow calling like we're in a herd.
5: Mirror, 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 mirror,
6: mirror. And then, you know, just kind of see the reaction of the bull from there. Uh, and then if he sounds off, you know, we'll stick with that cow call in, until he doesn't come in and then we'll just try to, you know, throw a bugle out there. But if, if, he, doesn't, if he doesn't come with one and your opportunity is – uh, you're waiting on the the winds usually swirls mm-hmm. you got five minutes to make it happen
1: right Yeah, right. you know you one pitch. of the things we do here Tony is we, we try to call his cows to us you know wow. and when you do that with Rocky when you do it, all else fails now you know he's not paying much attention we're sounding like a satellite bull now we're going to try to sound like a big herd bull to call his cows to us you know so uh, yeah. I, I don't know if have y'all tried any of that with the rosies where you just, you know, caution to the wind. Now I'm talking to his cows. And if you can get that lead cow turned and coming to you, guess who's coming with her? <laughs> yeah. Uh, mostly it's uh, for us, it's, you know, a lot of cow
6: calls, but yeah. it's mostly lent towards the bull. <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. don't,
1: I mean. So being a lover more than a fighter. Yeah.
6: Yeah. It's rare that we call in cows uh, over the bull. Mm-hmm. Typically it's the attention of that bull and, you know, I've always had this line that says "just elk," it. and it's and it's meant for when you get that blown save. You're, you're working a critter, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden something ain't right. They're going the other way. Mm-hmm. Most people will not most, but a lot will leave them and let them go off mm-hmm. and try to get on them at, at uh, you know in the nighttime, yeah. or they'll come back the next day. But if you're in an area with a lot of pressure, you got to make it happen now. So we'll put the calls away and we'll get on the tracks, and, you know, we'll know about what direction they're going, what bench they're going to hold up on and bet on, and we'll sneak in and try to kill them that way. Yeah, yeah.
4: And that's yeah, where- You know, I
1: watched Joe this year uh, call in uh, some cows, and uh, I was like, dude, this is sick. He actually sounded like a lost calf, and uh, when he did that on a lost cow, when he did that, those cows turned and came directly to us right so guess who's coming with those cows when you do that you know that bull's coming with them because they're they're like okay somebody's lost or that calf's lost or whatever it may be and then a bull a big herd bull bugles behind them now it's all confusing now that big herd bull's got to come right so y'all might try something like that especially if it's a last ditch effort on a bad wind or something like that but i watched joe do it the last couple of years and that lost i don't know if you've ever heard that lost cow call or a lost calf call Absolutely. is amazing yeah
6: and that's yeah you bring up a good point because there's oftentimes where uh we all call an elk we'll call in a calf yeah. Cap is a lot of the times will come wandering like it's lost and it can't find its bomb with that high pitch. <laughs> yeah you know? but yeah you're now, right
2: what was that term you used that was elkit no just elkit just elkit yeah, like no
4: just do it just do
3: it just elkit, elk-it. so
4: what what we're going to do here um for the last part of this Tony um before we get into Brock Bros mailbox i'd like to hear from you what you think the biggest mistake is made hunting roses for the first time. What do you see as the one thing that really shows that somebody doesn't have experience with roses?
6: Oh, I guess that would be uh, the next, the next step. The first time that you bust a herd of elk because of the wind, or you put too much pressure on them, if they don't, not knowing that next step could be, okay, let's get out around them, Right. Uh, some people will keep the wind at their back, not care, and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. There's a time where first-time elk hunters need to realize, which we've all made the mistake, because, you know, the temptation is, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. But if you start thinking ahead and go, I need to get out around these elk, where are they going? That's a, that's a big, crucial mistake for a lot of them to just, you can push them into the biggest crap hole ever where they don't come back for three or four days. But yeah. they're headed to that crap hole for three or four days and you take two hours out of your time and get out around them absolutely you're, you're going to increase your odds
4: and yeah. and you know what dude there's a absolute another similarity right there because you know I, I tell people if you have a herd that's going to a destination either you boogered them or and and people think that just because you booger an elk that they've headed to the daggum next camp well they don't have that option everywhere man uh and you know, especially in that thick country it's kind of like kentucky they're going to go a little bit into that deep stuff where nobody's going to be able to get to them they're just going to wait listen check their back trail check the scent and and they're just going to stay there for a while until they can relax and know that nothing's on them but when i tell people it's the same thing you've boogered a group and they've got the wind man and do not trail behind them you want to get off to parallel and try to get up and it's not easy but ask Luis, it can be done, man. And you parallel those groups and you try to get, like you said, work. And especially in your thick country, but it works with us as well, because they want to go to a destination. And if they're not seeing something on their back trail, because I tell you this, that bull might be trailing that herd, but there's always a sentry cow that trails back there too that will wait, stop, and look over hills, will look over their back trail until that group moves on and until they know, and they'll turn and they'll follow. It happens all the time. And, man, you get that that sentry cow from the back come running up there, it just puts them into a jog going up the hill, and you're not going to catch them. That's why no. you always want to parallel on that side, so that you've got the wind coming from the herd to you, if possible, so that the thermals are not, if you have a change in thermals, they're not going to go up to that group, and you work like that, and, yes, you can make an, an opportunity out of something that was actually blown. We've done that.
6: That's a good point. Absolutely. And it and it also seems like uh, the playing field for calling elk, it's so hard to call them in when they're uphill bringing them down. They've yeah. always got the upper hand on you. You got to get that that latitude with them that level playing field. Yes, because it, it's so tempting when you got a bull above you and you're bugling and bugling, and all of a sudden he comes running down the hill, and he knows the last place that that call came from. He's got his head up and he's looking down there like, "Well, where are you? You just called from that stump, and I don't see it." But if you're pulling him at that angle to a ridge top or a, you know somewhat of a depression where he's got to come take a peek you're going to increase your odds there for us anyway.
4: So Manano, you've heard Tony talking about these Roosevelt elk and you've heard the lessons that like we've talked about in our hunts and stuff like that. Have you heard a lot of similarities in some of these things? Yeah.
7: I mean, pretty much. I mean, the, the, uh, our, our is it's a little bit different. We don't have that uh, particular situation where the timber company goes and Oh, yeah. Locked, uh, yes and, 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 this, yes and you know, no.
4: I mean, there's places that we've had timber cuts. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we got fires. Yeah, fire fire fires are something that really help us out as far as yeah. that, as far
3: as clearing some of that stuff out. Have, have,
4: have you heard any similarities that have been
3: noted? Well, you? Yeah, I think one of the main things that uh, Tony said was that, uh, and this equates to success, is knowing the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. You know, if they've hunted an area long enough and they know where all the water holes are, uh, you have a general idea of where they're going to head, depending on on the uh, drought situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's and they're scouting. You know, they know they know the area, and that helps a lot. I think if you're used to one particular area to hunt in, even though it may be a large area, you got you got several options to go to. You know, plan A, plan B, plan C, yeah. and so forth.
6: Do you guys – question for you guys. Uh, do you deal with a lot of bees' nests back in your country over there? Uh,
4: no,
1: I... we,
6: did, we have the ground bees, yes.
4: Occasionally,
1: yeah.
4: yeah. We, <laughs> we have
1: those little yellow jackets that will come attack you, attack your meat and everything. Well, Ch-
4: to Chav them. and I and a buddy of ours stepped over a log one time um, that had a hornet's mm. nest in it, and they chased us for a half mile, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean – but, and and were vicious. They were stinging oh, us the whole man, time, God. man. We were just, and it was like, it wasn't like, "Are you okay?" It wasn't like, "Hey, man, maybe we should go this." It was like, "Run!" Everybody was just running.
2: To- I bet, oh, I'm <laughs> shooting you in the leg, bro.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah, Listen, I'm telling you straight up. I didn't mess with no. Now, look, <laughs> down here in Texas, we've got these Africanized bees and everything, and they are bad. They will flat. Yeah, that's a different thing. They'll deal. run you out of a boat. I've had to jump in the water. You know, I mean, it's crazy. They will the eat queen you alive. landed on our boat yeah. in the middle of the ocean, brother. Oh, We're man. in the middle of the ocean, and a queen bee landed on our boat, and they covered that boat like it was something from a beekeeper movie that had bees over <laughs> for everything. It covered the whole boat. We had to get out we had to get out, man. Till the wow. queen be- we splashed water up on the side of the queen got up. left and hoping the, whole hoping damn hoping the sharks wouldn't that. be hungry. I, I, yeah. I, mean, I, I can
7: see you. the picture in my mind. So
1: we jump out we jump out into the ocean where sharks live. Hey, that's what no, I mean. Like. Then, what, them, what the hell? Them waters are infested with sharks. Devil. We just exactly. swapped the witch for the devil, but I'm telling you I'm deathly I'm I'm really allergic to bee stings and wasp stings. I keep I'm
3: really allergic
2: to uh, shark bites. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I keep I keep a, a not an EpiPen, but I keep Benadryl in my bag and stuff like that and, and an inhaler and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I, I I don't like bees or hornets or none of them things. None of them flying critters. <sighs>
4: All right, guys. Let's go to our Elk Rose mailbox, man. Hey, and uh, Tony, you jump in too, and, and you're going to see some of these. Some of them are right up your alley. It doesn't matter what you're hunting, and then some of these um, could could be in your type of country where it's happening. You can kind of give an answer to that if you want to. So,
2: Luis, what's uh, take the first one there? And so we've got Mr. Joel Adair. So his first <laughs> name is
4: Joel. Joel. Like, oh, like Joel. Joel. Yes. Joel Adair. Yeah, Joel. Oh, I bet
2: he's going <laughs> to like that, man. <laughs> Joel Adair. He's going to like it or he ain't. Uh, Utah. Santa Quinn, Utah. So last year in Idaho, I was hiking up a mountain when I got to a hanging valley just below the top. And I let out, uh, just below the top, I let out a bugle. Nothing happened. I moved further into the valley, got to the edge of an open meadow, let out another bugle, and in 15 seconds, I get a bugle less than 100 yards away. He then bugles again with by a couple of short barks. Uh, I try to bark back at him, as you guys have said to do. He bugled one more short bugle than nothing else from him. The time of the day was about 10 a.m. by this point, and the wind was in my favor. I called right into his direction. When I called, then I heard no more response from him. Should I have called behind me or moved back 20 to 30 yards and still called uh, to the other direction? I was hunting by myself. Give this one to Luis <laughs> to try <laughs> to pronounce my name. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, well, well, uh, there you go. there.
4: And I uh, I like put uh, more information in here too. The time of year was the second week of September. Um, when he got the bugle, it was from the same side. It wasn't across the park. So oh. it wasn't like he was, mm-hmm. you know, trying to pull out into the opening. I asked if it was a bark or a chuckle. And guys, sometimes a grunt, a hard grunt can sound like a bark. And that's what I was trying to talk about earlier that I was going to say, Tony, those guys like to use. They used a, like a hard grunt with a bugle afterwards. And when I asked what type of response or emotion, that he got from the boy. He said it was a raspy, hard bugle, and then it had the barks with it. So, um, what would you, you know? His question is basically, how should I have handled this? You know, what was going on? Should, you know, he gets there and he's and he told me he's using a bat grunt tube, and he bugles at the bull that's a hundred yards away with a bat grunt tube towards him, and he's like, well, should I have?
7: move back 20 or 30 yards i don't think so no i don't think so why not well because he was 100 yards away I mean, uh i believe he i I'm, i have i mean i i will uh i would have done the same way that he did uh-huh. just trying to get a good spot wait I've for you don't know how to Bugle or call or Well, or I, like I would that. have had uh, uh, Beto, Chav, or or, or <laughs> Joe behind me. Oh, so, okay,
0: okay. So, so look, you got somebody helping you, you
1: out, like always. I'm gonna to tell that. you, boys, when that bull bugle, <laughs> when that bull barked, uh-huh. that was the end of the game. That was it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah.
7: The, but answering his question, he said, uh, "Should I go further?" No, uh, I I would have done the uh, the same. I mean,
1: uh, I go immediately to that lost cow call immediately to the lost cow call and see if I can get him to overcome his idea of, Hey, I want to see another bull right now.
4: Well, so let's, let's read what's going on with the situation, guys, man. Yeah. What kind of bull do you think you have? And what do you think that what's going on with that bull, man? I mean, when he gives one uh, short bugle, so he, he, he goes he's in, a he's given there and, and he gets in, he gets a bugle back from him. Then he gets, uh, then the bull bugles again with some short barks. So at a hundred yards, he's, you know, show yourself, right. Exactly. Okay. Um, and then he said that he called into the bull's direction and he gave, you know, he gave his own bark. More short bugle and, and that was it. And he said that bugle was like a real raspy type bugle. So, and then he didn't hear anything from him when he bugled at him. Now, I'll say number one, he never I hear nothing about a cow call. Exactly. Right? So uh when you hear that bull demanding, you know that bull's not coming, right? No, right. Right now, because he's just talking to another bull. And this is mm-hmm. what, you know, Luis, we were talking about with you, man. You know I'm closing right? the gap. Yeah, right now, there's only he only knows of that bull there. He has, has no knowledge of a cow being there, right? And then this guy bugles at him, and with a a bat tube, which is going to make that bull not only think he's not 100 yards away, it's going to make him think he's made. Yeah, he, he yards. He may, have,
2: he may have come in a bit more confrontational yeah. and, mm. and and – so, so I think one of the things that you talk about, Joe, a lot is trying when you try to paint the picture. Try to paint the picture of ignoring the elk you want to bring in. So, just basically concentrating on, you know, kind of put up your own party, yeah, man, and and, Sound and the like guy come check it in. You're not bugling at him. You're yeah. bugling at your cows. You yeah. kind of work your own deal and and yeah. give him. I forget the the exact word that you use, but it's just like you're
1: ignoring them yeah man Yeah, so yeah well, you sound like your own little bull with his cows his cows you now you start bringing those cows and lost cow situation and if old bull over here ain't got any cows guess who he's going to come look at right mm-hmm. now that uh, that other bull over there might have had some cows well, sure. i would have absolutely mm-hmm. tested the water and dipped my toe first with a cow call for That's sure that. yep way
4: before that and Sure.
2: so so the cow call would have come in before his second
1: bugle oh, absolutely yeah. absolutely, 100 percent. if i'd have got that answer from my location bugle dude i'm going straight to lover but but look i can sure. you know i
2: can see where where some of his confusion can come in because i, I can relate right i mean we also He's say hey keep doing what's working Right. So I mean he bugled and he got a response. So that's what's 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 working. Yeah. So the logic also would be, okay, I'm gonna bugle again. So I mean that's that's a tough one.
6: Yeah. Yep. And I, you kinda also feel like if he if he had bugled in the bottom of a draw and then made his way up to the top of the hill, if that bull was just barely over the brink of that hill and you I would have probably walked up there and cow called a couple times before I made my appearance over the descend of that hill. No, absolutely. That, he, he got the red flag from the first bugle. And then when he put the bugle, in his face at the bull, that bull's second assessment was, "I'm out of here." Well, yeah. he,
4: that, what I'm saying though is this bull ain't alone, man. He's got cows.
1: Cows, 100. Yeah. percent He does. He,
4: he he barks back at him, and he says he hears one more short bugle, and then nothing else. I mean, that dude did a roundup bugle,
2: and he, he was gone. Out. Oh, yeah. makes sense. Oh, yeah, look, it's a great question. It's a tough man. situation. I mean, it's just. uh it's, it's easy to blow that one up i
1: mean yeah I, but i, I think I, joe makes a great point in absolutely. once you get that bull he's inside he's inside 100 yards once you get him to answer now you're gonna try to love on him a little bit and and get get him to okay now i got a lost cow out here now i need to come find her right but the minute that bull went to the to the hard bark mm-hmm. he told you what was up you know uh, well, yeah. And if you bark back at him, now nah, it's confrontational, straight up, right? I'd have I'd so, barked,
4: chuckled. I wouldn't have just barked. I yeah. think I'd have barked, chuckled back at him yeah. and, and said – you It would probably
2: still run him away, right? Yeah. Good.
4: yeah. I mean, it's a tough situation no matter yeah. what, where he's right. at a, you know, because you've got a bull that knows that there's another bull close to him. He's got cows, and he's like, show yourself. Then he goes ahead and he barks back at him, you know, like that, and the bull – all of a sudden, goes off with a a short bugle, which he's rounding yeah. up his cows, and he's out of yeah. there, man. So, Joel, uh, just
1: remember, be a lover before a fighter. Always, yeah. Yeah.
4: I, well, I would have, I would always introduce that cow in there, man, and or I would have even shut up for a while, man. Uh, yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it, and, and Joel, good. I
2: think I think is a great question, and uh, I hope I hope you like the way I pronounce your name because I know you can't <laughs> spell mine. like Joe. <laughs> So, you know, Joe never never spells my name right and and doesn't look like you're wow, solid. Yeah, wow, man. Man, like, an Sally. Yeah, man. An a Z.
4: Oh my yeah. gosh, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, I always say it right. It's not like, like we've been daughter. friends
2: for like 5 years for him to just figure out how to spell my last name, but he's, you know, that's okay. <laughs> oh, so, my so you get a pass, Hoel, well, because uh, you know, you, <laughs> we just met. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, get the I'm way. This out. <laughs> Okay, so, Chav, next up. Okay, next up we have Chris uh, McKelvey from Santa Rosa, California. So, Chris,
2: guy who can, can recognize a leader right there.
3: And he <laughs> asked, I'm pulling the trigger on elk this year. I'm almost positive I'm going for a Utah over-the-counter spike tag. The way I, I read the regs, it's good for a spike or a cow, from what I've heard you guys say, find food and water and use cow calls. If I understand right, the tag is good from August 21st through wow. October 31st. But rifle opens September 1st, so I have to imagine the first nine days are going to be my best bet. Am I missing anything?
2: I think it's
3: been listening. First nine days?
2: <laughs>
4: mm well it uh, so he's hunting early season man he's hunting yeah you know at the time he needs to get a spike or a cow right and mm-hmm. and the good thing is chris man is spikes and cows are together at this time man i mean Definitely. Uh, lots <laughs> yeah i mean uh, the spikes are with mama aunt and grandma and and so they're all together and i you know the food the water cow calls you're right yeah you're right spot on, on. yeah
1: you got it buddy yeah, and when you find them cows, you're gonna have those spikes with them. Those spikes are dumb as a bag of hammers, man. Just start yeah. sounding like a lost cow, and they, coming, dude. Uh, and, they and, come and dude. They come and they're like a gang, you know, like gangbusters. And one, the
2: one recommendation I would have, uh, Chris, is like, man, when you know when you're in a setup and and trying to call them in, make sure you just don't call anybody on your phone or anything like that. Okay, <laughs> kind of, you know, keep the phone in your pocket and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, don't be calling nobody. <laughs> that, that would be my only two cents. <laughs> and
4: show oh, you know.
5: Goodness,
2: man. <laughs> and you know, the,
4: the thing that I'm you I'm fully know, loaded today, bro. <laughs> the thing you gotta realize, too man, is that you know, uh you could even use something like what Tony was talking about where you just wanna sound like a small herd, small group, you know, uh and and even so you can you can use the maternal or you can use the herd here and that's where you know, uh, Gilbert was talking about that lost cow, man. You start pulling some of those cows over with a lost cow call, and uh, they they really come to that, all
2: right? Man, be- best, of, best of luck, Chris, man. Uh, yeah, I, you, we, we certainly believe you can make it happen, brother, and just we take some pictures and, and and share it with us. And, uh, you know, we'd love to see videos and pictures of, of your success this year, man. You
7: hey,
4: bet. Manano, the this last guy's a fan of yours, bud, so why don't you take that one?
7: <laughs> came from British Columbia. When it comes to carrying meat, what type of game bags do you use? How do you carry your meat? Is it inside your packs? Yes. I mean, we use a, a metal frame backpacks and um, they use a metal backpacks. I carry in my shoulders as a, you know, a strong man. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what was the brand of of yours, Luis?
2: I don't know, but
7: uh, I do recall who carried out your elk last year. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah I carry yours too. I got a yeah. video actually. Yeah, yeah. Actually <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna post that video tomorrow in our account.
2: So, so team is uh, going for you. So is that a frame i use? it's it's the frame the the frame pack it's it's a holler pack uh, yeah
7: it's a holler yeah, pack
2: hauler. so but we have the luxury that you know we don't carry those with us while we're hunting right. but when we do hunt we try to get as close as legally possible to the kill with the packs in our, in our ATMs or UTVs yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I love that. Man. ATVs, ATVs and UTVs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the ATMs are important too, but they don't have them in the woods. So, <laughs> so then we, uh, we, we take the packs from there to the kill and then just helps us facilitate the extraction uh, let's put it that way and because we do uh, game
1: bags, cheesecloth game bags. Yes, uh, you know, I, to I keep have some
2: our ones myself too. So
4: mm-hmm.
1: mine are washable. They come from yeah. Cabela's, and uh, I order them. And mine are washable. We can actually reuse them, and I do. I've washed them yeah. and uh, reuse them.
2: So, but but banana's right too. I mean, there has been instances like with my bull two couple years ago that uh, man, we were just far from from where we could. Uh, you know get to a road where the where the four-wheeler was mm-hmm. and uh man yeah i mean between the three of us we had to carry um the the quarters on our backs until we got to you know the the vehicles and stuff like that so
1: um when we did, yeah i been where we didn't have enough freight packs uh where we've had to carry quarters or whatever you know uh on our backs out of there when i killed that That, uh, raghorn bull that year, me and Chav (laughs) was a long way away and, uh, we didn't have enough freight packs, but we carry, uh, you know, a quarter on our back coming out of there. But we try to use the, the cheesecloth for the, uh, like Joe says, the Lomos, uh, the back straps and, uh, neck meat and stuff like that, that we're going to get the trimmings off, tenderloins, get your hands in there and get the tenderloins out, um, and, uh,
4: and sometimes we don't even sometimes, Tim, we don't even skin the skin off, man. If, if right. we're at a point where it's real quick and we're going to get it there instead of getting it all dirty with everything, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep the skin on the quarter and we'll strip it out once we get it there to camp. And we'll be at camp in probably 45 minutes from there. So but but one thing, though, Tim, is we, we really don't put meat inside our packs. I don't want to put any meat in my pack. We'll use a hauler um, and we might end yeah. up expanding to some of the types of packs where we can, you know, uh, use, uh, uh, open it up and put the quarters inside that without putting it in the actual bag, you know. But uh, right now, we've been using freighter packs and it's worked for us. And yeah, we buy whatever game bags, nylon bags and stuff are on sale. We haven't really worried about that too much, man. So that's kind of how we do it.
1: Heck, I got a buddy of mine uses big cotton pillow sheets. yeah, you yeah. Know. I mean, they use cotton pillow sheets, and they bring them home, cases, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they, you know, time closed, and uh, they bring them home, wash them, reuse yeah. them.
4: Yes, you know? just to keep it clean, man. Let it yeah. breathe. Yeah. Why don't we you pull this to- out, Gilbert? Okay.
1: Yeah, man, it's been an amazing night. All Always cool to get everybody together and talk about the differences between the two subspecies, Rosies and Rockies. Uh, been so good to have our buddy and Mr. Tony uh, with us tonight. And uh, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if you or any of our listeners out there would like our, your questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. Tony, we really want to thank you for joining us at Elk Camp tonight.
6: appreciate it, man. It was fun. You guys are a hoot. I love it. <laughs>
1: We appreciate you being with us. Guys, like we say here in Texas, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands. Hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. And for all of our grinders out there, here is just some really badass music from our brother Tony Wintrip to close us out appreciate you guys. You guys, somebody
2: nice. hit it Tony. Thank you Tony.
5: Song's called Bulldown.
7: That's all. Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you, Appreciate you guys.
4: Good night, everybody. You can find Tony's music at BullDownProductions.com.